Mersey Docks and Harbour Board Offices by William B. Forwood Coffeebreak Collection 25 Water This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Chad Horner from Ballyclare in County Antrim, Northern Ireland Situated in the northeast of the island of Ireland Mersey Docks and Harbour Board Offices the river Mersey, at all times beautiful, with its wonderful alternations of light and its brisk flowing waters, has never been so beautiful since the old sailing ship days, when at the top of high water the outward bound fleet proceeded to sea, and the entire river, from the pier head to the rock light, was filled with shipping of all sizes, working their way out to sea, tacking and cross-tacking the clipper with her taut spars and snow-white canvas, and the small coaster with her tanned sails all went to make up a picture of wonderful colour and infinite beauty. The dock board. There is no branch of the public service of which Liverpool people are more proud than the administration of the Mersey Docks and Harbour Board. The members of the board have always been recruited from our leading merchants, shipowners and brokers, and they have been fortunate in selecting as their chairman men of exceptional ability i can recollect charles turner m p robert rankin william langton ralph brucklebank t d hornby alfred bolt john branker and the board is today presided over by mr robert gladstone who worthily maintains the best traditions of his office of late years the members have been elected without any contests but it was not always so in the seventies there were severe contests, which arose not upon questions of personal fitness, but were prompted by trade rivalries. It had become the fashion for the various trades to nominate members who would look after the particular interests of their trade. Jealousy was aroused if one trade obtained larger representation than others. The interests of the steamship owners were opposed to those of the sailing ship owner. The one wanted allotted berths to secure dispatch the other quay-space free and unappropriated. The cotton men wanted special facilities for cotton and the timber people yard space for the storage of timber and deals. Each trade had its associations and in addition there was a ratepayers association which sought to break up this system of trade delegation by electing independent men. The payment of £10 in dock dues gave a vote, so faggot votes were easily and extensively manufactured. Shipowners and merchants qualified every clerk in their employ. The nomination of members took place on the 1st of January and the election of the day following. The elections were hotly contested, but always in a gentlemanly way, and with much good humour. It required skill to fill up the voting papers so as to secure a majority for any particular candidate. Among those who busied themselves over these elections I remember William Johnson, Robert Coulthart, Worsley Battersby, Edmund Taylor, Arthur Forwood, G. B. Thompson, George Cunliffe, and James Barnes. The Ratepayers Association accomplished much good by the election of some men of independence. My particular desire at this time was to try and induce the board to fund their debt. It was felt that such a large floating debt was not only cumbrous and inconvenient, but in times of financial stress, or with a cycle of years of bad trade, might be a source of danger. I urged the funding of the debt on the nomination days, and also through the press and chamber of commerce. It met 
with the strong opposition of the board led by mr brocklebank but in course of time after the corporation had taken the lead the dock board wisely funded a portion of their debt the gradual increase of steamers the passing of the sailing vessel and the large share of the trade of the port being now conducted by liners have to a very large extent done away with the trade rivalries hence the little interest now taken in the dock board elections the present generation scarcely know that the docks were up to eighteen fifty seven administered by a committee of the corporation in my young days liverpool people were very sore and angry at the action of parliament in foisting upon them the birkenhead docks these docks had been constructed by a private company and were insolvent and a hopeless failure birkenhead had however powerful influence in parliament and stoutly opposed any extension of the liverpool docks contending that the birkenhead docks had not had fair play and could accommodate the surplus trade of liverpool in the end in eighteen fifty seven liverpool was obliged to buy them for one million one hundred and forty three thousand pounds and within a very few years had to expend upon them three million eight hundred and fifty nine pounds and forty one pence this outlay has ever since been a serious burden upon liverpool nor did the hostile action of parliament stop here the town dues were taken from liverpool and commuted for a payment of one million five hundred thousand pounds the management of the dock estate was placed in the hands of the trustees who are except three elected by the dock ratepayers in olden time the dock board had an annual excursion to inspect the lightships to which they invited the whole of the council they were pleasant days and it was supposed that the mayor for the coming year was selected on these occasions these excursions contributed to a good feeling between the dock board and the corporation which is so essential if we are to preserve the prosperity of the port i sometimes think that our city fathers apparently forget that our docks and our commerce are the life-blood of liverpool mr john bramley Moore's great work on the dock board was completed before my day but he continued his interest in liverpool to the last and was present at the opening of the north docks system in eighteen eighty two where i saw him he used to tell how indefatigably he worked to secure the extension of the docks in a northerly direction how he asked lord darby to present the bootle shore to the dock board urging that it would be greatly to the gain of the darby family lord darby replied that it would be very difficult to convince him of that and that he had already refused ninety thousand pounds for it mr bramley Murr, then offered if lord darby would transfer his foreshore rights to dock committee would raise all the back land by using it for the deposit of their spoil which would he thought be an inadequate compensation the deal was closed on this basis the dock committee secured two miles of river frontage and the darby family the site of the most important part of Bootle, and now forming one of the most valuable of their estates one of the first docks constructed on this newly acquired land was the bramley moor so named after the chairman no one can fail to acknowledge the enterprise and wisdom which have characterized the administration of the dog estate municipal work follows the demand of the people and seldom goes ahead of it but the provision of dogs must anticipate the demand likely to be experienced in all this the dog board has acted with boldness and with prudence under circumstances of much embarrassment 
the construction of the Manchester Ship Canal presented a problem of considerable difficulty, but the Dock Board adopted the courageous but wise policy of looking to Liverpool and Liverpool trade only, and the facilities they have provided for the changed conditions of trade have done not a little to conserve the commerce of the port. End of Mersey Docks and Harbour Board Offices by William B. Forwood